Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Just as a heads up, we are holding in-person services every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Also, if you'd like to join us for a to-go meal, we are serving those every Wednesday through our Bread of Life Cafe at 5.30 p.m. If you'd like to get more connected to our church, feel free to email centralchurch1 at gmail.com or call us at 513-481-5820. We look forward to hearing from you. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Continuing um, with the season of Easter, actually. And we're going to jump a little bit ahead in John today. I'm sorry if I didn't get to prepare you ahead of time. Uh, We will get a chance to write this down if you're one of those people that's handwriting out the Gospel of John. We'll get here. But I wanted to preach from this because it made the most sense. The triumphal entry. uh, This is Palm Sunday, generally celebrated by Christians all around the world. This is the day when Jesus came to Jerusalem at last. It was going to be the last time he came to Jerusalem before he was crucified. And what I wanted to share with you first this morning, uh, just a little bit of a story from, I think, three years ago now. Uh, My wife and I were living in Indianapolis, and she'd be the first to tell you that Indianapolis just wasn't my favorite place to live. In fact, yeah, she's shaking her head no big time. Capital N, capital O, not my favorite. But all that aside, we were looking for a way to get back home here to Cincinnati. We were just asking God, pleading, like, can we please go home? Like, we just don't belong here. Doesn't feel like this is the right city for us to live in. And it feels like all the, it feels like there's a a call for us to come back to Cincinnati. Would you open a door? Well, actually, a very tiny door. If you want to imagine like a light's coming through a door and it's just barely cracked and you can see that ray of light just coming through the door, there was a tiny one just like that in Cincinnati. Now, I'm not talking about a job opportunity. I'm talking about a chance for me to do something I've never done in my life. Now, when I was in high school, I played sports. I really was always interested in drama. I was interested in theater, but I never got around to doing it. And I regretted it for a long time. And finally, there was this, I can't remember, we must have seen it on Facebook or something. There was a production that was going to take place at a theater in Northside. And I was like, this is my chance to prove myself. I'm going to get into drama. This is my road in. And, you know, all my life, I've just done like impressions of people. I've I love to read books to Jack because I do like 50 different voices when I read. It's just a lot of fun for me. And I just took that knowledge without any experience. And I said, I'm going to go and audition for this show. Kayla was in drama. She was in theater. So she was like, yeah, I'll I'll audition too. Well, the show was called Luna and is based off of the character Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter series. And it's this kind of this side story that these people wrote in, at this theater in Northside here in Cincinnati just to kind of accompany what was going on in the Harry Potter universe. And I thought it was so cool, such a great idea. And I saw a list of characters that, you know, you could audition for. One of them was this Dementor, which is, you know, this kind of monster creature from the Harry Potter world. I'm sorry if you don't know this. 
I promise I'll get to the point. But just know that I saw a character I really wanted to audition for. And I had it in my mind that I was going to go in and do this wonderful, suave British accent for this character and be kind of like this goofy, doofy British guy who didn't really understand what was going on because the character was supposed to be a little bit out there. Well, I get in there for the audition, this tiny cramped little theater in Northside. And when I get in there, they hand us some scripts just to read from, which I didn't know what an audition was like. They hand me the script. And immediately the first thing I see is they don't want somebody with a British accent to come in there and do that voice. They want somebody from like Oklahoma to come in and just like do this Western type voice. And I'm like, oh no, I came so prepared. I had this great idea. And on the fly, I had to mess with this. So I did this terrible impression of somebody that I thought was from Oklahoma. And for some reason, they gave me a callback and wanted to see me again. Cause I thought, I think they were just trying to laugh at me in all honesty. They were like, wow. That is nothing like what we expected. Let's see if we can watch this guy again. Uh, Kayla got a call back too. But I think when we did our callback audition, what happened was they realized we lived in Indianapolis. We didn't have any viable opportunities here in Cincinnati yet. So they basically said, hey, thanks, but no thanks. So alas, we did not get to participate in the production Luna, but that's all okay. What I really wanted to tell you though, is this what Jesus does in this passage in the triumphal entry he's doing something really strange I call this message the king in the theater and I call it that because what Jesus is doing is in a sense that he is performing something now I went into that north side theater and I had one expectation And something else was completely the reality. What we see in this passage is something very similar. Jesus is coming in, he's entering the theater and he's performing something. And as he's performing, the crowd has one expectation and Jesus has something else in mind. That's the reality. So, Basically, that's the question I'm asking today. Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation where you expected one thing and then the opposite happened? So what do Jesus' actions tell us in this passage? What do they tell us? You know, he's coming in, he's riding on a donkey, and people are laying branches as he's riding down the road into Jerusalem. What, are, what is he trying to tell us? And again, I'm I'm making the case this morning that Jesus is performing. Now, that doesn't mean what he's doing is fake. It means that he's trying to get his audience to understand what he's doing. Not just what he's saying, but what he's doing. That's a key to understanding the Gospels. You know, oftentimes we only look at Jesus' words, and that's why it's okay if your Bible has red letters in them, but I don't want you to miss the actions that Jesus does too because those are so important and those aren't in red letters. That'll help us understand even better what Jesus intended to communicate to his audience. They tell us that he was performing an act to reveal his identity, namely that he is Israel's Messiah. 
Now, I've said this probably so many times that you're tired of hearing it, but there were many expectations about what the Messiah would do, what the Messiah would be like, and what the Messiah would accomplish. Jesus is just making a very blanket statement by riding in on a donkey, by fulfilling a prophecy that a young colt would come in with the king of Israel coming. We see that Jesus is just making a blanket statement. You, you're looking for the Christ? It's me. Jesus is saying, it is I. I am Israel's Messiah. So he's coming in and he's revealing his identity. You know, throughout the Gospels, oftentimes, you know, it's cryptic, it's mysterious. We don't always know what Jesus is up to. This time it's out in the clear. Just like he said to the Samaritan woman at the well, he's the Christ. It's not his words this time, it's his actions. Nobody's going to mistake Jesus' actions for anything else. Expectations, however, were just everywhere. So here's what you need to know. You have this crowd shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You have this crowd shouting that. They're cheering because they think finally something's going to happen that they've been waiting for. But you have to realize, like, just like everybody in this room, if we were all shouting Hosanna in that moment and Jesus was coming in on a donkey... We might all have different understandings of what Jesus came to do. You and I might have just different interpretations of what that meant, that we're laying palm branches down and that we're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the first century, it was the same way. Not Two people in the crowd probably weren't having the same exact dream of what Jesus had come to accomplish. So, here's the first thing. Earlier in John, John 12, verse 1, we learn that it's six days before Passover. Like the feast of all feasts, the remembrance of how God delivered his people from Egypt. So, you can imagine that some people in that crowd expected that Jesus was going to do something like what happened when God delivered his people in the Exodus. They're expecting some similar events like that to happen. So it's, it's clear that if the timing of this, John mentions it on purpose. Like it's not just a side note. It's not just in case you were wondering, it's about Passover time. No, this is a very intentional note that John is making. He wants us to pay attention here. Whenever we see what time it is, what feast is about to happen, it should catch our attention because Jesus is often doing something to reflect on that feast. Passover is no different. So you have people in the crowd that are probably expecting events like the Exodus to unfold so that they can be delivered from the Romans, perhaps. And then next, we have uh, others who might have viewed Psalm 2 in mind. Psalm 2 is the one where you get this idea. It's really about David at first, but by the time of the New Testament, this starts getting applied to people they think are the Messiah. So God's son is going to bring, it's going to execute judgment on the world. Now, originally they think this is just some king in the line of David. 
but it comes to be understood that this is what the Messiah is going to do by the time the New Testament rolls around. In Psalm 2, God's Son dashes the nations with a rod of iron. He dashes the nations. I mean, you can imagine that people sitting in that crowd were just thinking about this and thinking, wow, this is the moment when the Romans are gone, when the pagans are gone, when the people who are insulting us and enslaving us and heavily taxing us are going to be kicked out and then we're going to be number one again. You can imagine there are people in the crowd by laying palm branches down at Jesus' feet are expecting this kind of thing to happen. But the other note that John makes in this passage is some people were curious, like, how did this guy raise Lazarus, who we know was dead? How did, how did he raise him from the dead? Maybe he's just a miracle worker and God has blessed him in such a special way that he could do some miracles for me. So there were people that came that expected this Jesus person to come and do some miracles for them too. In other words, he is a worker of miracles. So there's your expectations. You have people that expected events like the Exodus to unfold. You have people that had an expectation that maybe he is the true Davidic king and is going to kick out the Romans. And you maybe just had people that were like, you know what? I have a lot going on in my life. And it would just be nice if God listened to me and healed me. You can imagine that Jesus was very popular in that moment. But what was he signifying here? If not one of those three possibilities, messianic might, popularity with the crowd, miraculous power, whatever you, however you view that, if it's not one of those things, what is Jesus trying to tell the people by coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey? Isaiah 52, verse 8. Listen, your watchmen shout. In unison they shout for joy, for they see with their very own eyes the Lord's return to Zion. Now, I highlighted that part, the Lord's return to Zion on purpose. Because I'm going to make the case today that that's what Jesus was performing. That is the action that he was taking. So he wasn't just performing the actions of a king coming into his city, coming into his fortress, so to speak. He was enacting God's return to Zion. Let me unpack a couple things for you real quick. First of all, whenever you see a capital L-O-R-D, all in caps, in your Bible, that is almost certainly a reference to Yahweh, to the very specific name that Jewish people today still don't talk about, but it's the name Yahweh, Yahweh's return to Zion. It's the name for God. It's the name for Israel's God in particular. Let me unpack something else for you. Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem or God's promised city. And there's so much doctrine and theology out there about what Zion means. Like, I'm not even going to attempt to unpack that today. That's not important, in my opinion. What is important is what Jesus is doing in John chapter 12. 
He is enacting, he's performing what it looks like when God returns to his city at last. The city that was basically supposed to be the city on the hill from the Sermon on the Mount, or the salt of the earth, but had failed to do so. And these people were aching for God to do something because their lives were messed up. Their lives were not in order. Their lives were not something you would want to see on TV. They were waiting for God to act. And Jesus is showing in this moment, not just what it looks like for the king to come to his city, but also what it means for the great story of Israel to reach its conclusion. When God returns at last, that's what he's acting out. So here's what I want to say that will kind of bring our lives into it. In the first century, it was about Jesus acting out what it looked like when God returned at last. For us, I'm just going to say this. The religion of our culture suggests that we find God. How often do you hear religious people identified as seekers? That's not a bad thing, but that's primarily how we're understood is like, I'm going to go out today and find God. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. We, we think of it on our terms, in our timing, by our preferences. We think if we can set the stage just right, that we can find God. But that's not how Jesus wants to communicate it. You know, it doesn't happen. It, let me just say this about the Jewish people in the first century. It didn't happen on their terms. It certainly did not happen in their timing. And if the Jesus story is true, which we tend to believe here, it certainly was not by their preferences. Because he did something completely different. The triumphal entry shows that God finds us. In his timing, not by our preferences, but by his acting. Okay, God finds us. Broken, messed up, yes. Ashamed, probably. But God finds us. That's, that's what Jesus is showing. It's not that we can concoct an experiment and then go find God somewhere. Like, if you're looking to know God more, please seek. Please try to understand. I don't want to discourage that. And this is not me saying this is deterministic. I'm just saying what God did through Jesus by coming down the road into Jerusalem, he shows that God finds us and he doesn't forget God finds us. So if you imagine that Jerusalem is the stage, the theater to which Jesus is coming, he is acting out what it looks like when God returns and God finds his people brokenhearted and in need of a savior. He does the same thing today. He finds us in all of our warped expectations as people, just as desperate now as in the first century. We need deliverance. Right, this past week or and a half was horrible, not just in our country, but around the world. 
I mean, come on. Have we ever needed God more than we do right now? Friends, you don't have to look far to know that the world is messed up, to know that there are shootings almost every week, to know that there are people on the other side of the world whose government has been taken over and then protesters have been killed in the hundreds. I mean, have we ever needed God more than we do in this very moment? And yeah, you know, we do have warped expectations. Even my expectations of God are sometimes distorted and not right. But God still finds us. He doesn't like, he doesn't throw down Bibles at us and say like, get it in order. He comes as a poor carpenter into a broken city in flesh and blood and comes and dwells among his people who desperately needed him. And today, you know, we have this, we have this crisis constantly happening. No matter how much time passes, there's always another crisis. Time does not heal the brokenness of the world. Time does not forgive wrongs. But God does. Jesus does. We need deliverance. We are desperate people. And Jesus shows us by acting out this thing called the triumphal entry, he shows us that he's going to step into the mess with us. I remember one time Louis Giglio said, Jesus isn't offended by your humanity. He's not. He knows that you and I are desperate for God to come and fix this world at last. He hears that prayer. He knows. And he knows that sometimes we participate in things that are sinful and wrong, and he still comes to us. So what I want to do in closing today is just say this. God has come in Jesus. God has come in Jesus. He knows what we are going through. He knows the pain that we feel. And still he chooses to come to us. He doesn't say, I'm going to go hide somewhere in the world. You got to go find me. He says, look, I'm coming to you. don't have to look so hard. God is present. He's given us his Holy Spirit. That means he dwells here in this place right now among you and I. 
So look back. Look at how Jesus came in and he acted out what it meant that God would return to a broken, sinful people and know that even if you're broken and sinful like me, that he's still coming and that he's going to dwell among us. He does now and he will when Jesus returns. That's what we pray for. We look at the triumphal entry and we say, I can't wait until the final triumphal entry when Jesus returns and makes all things new at last. So look at that as a foretaste of what's coming. Jesus will return. He's faithful. And just as Chris said, like we, the hardest part's done. Doesn't mean we won't face hard things still. But we get to play a part in the renewal of all things. Let's do that together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Make this world new. Just as you came to Jerusalem, a city that was in uproar constantly, a city that needed a Savior, you came and you returned to show that God does not forget his promises. Show us once more today how you are faithful to your promises and that we don't have to go looking for you so hard. But maybe, just maybe, we need to remember that you come to us and you find us and you love us and that is enough. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.